Hi there, this is Kent Roundy at Utah State, uh, sorry, at Utah State Hospital Med Student, or USH Med Student, more accurately. Got a crowd of third and fourth year medical students with me today, and let's start off with introductions. Natalie, do you want to start? Hi, I'm Natalie Pratt, fourth year medical student from Rocky Vista. Brandon Trujillo, a fourth year medical student. Now, I, I got to stop here. You know, I always ask questions when people are introducing themselves. Brandon, how did you end up on this rotation with Natalie, just out of curiosity? We are just trying to find rotations together, and uh, she said that this was a particularly enjoyable one, so We're also we engaged. <laughs> 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 all right, now slide forward and don't be shy, okay, so that uh, when this is all done, everybody hears both of you well. And uh, don't be afraid to be a little closer to Natalie, that's okay. <laughs> all right, uh, Ray? Uh, my name is Ray. I'm a third-year medical student at RVU. And I'm Nuri. I'm also a third-year medical student at RBU. So Natalie rotated with me before. Um, we had uh, a rotation that was very disrupted by the coronavirus. Correct. Right. Initially, I think we were under quarantine. Uh, or what? Did we start under quarantine, or did you have to step away because of Second quarantine? Second week, yeah. Second week, you were quarantined away from the unit. We, as a hospital, still didn't know exactly how we were tackling the coronavirus. But even before that, uh, this was the, the first time you were here was technically a makeup rotation, right? Correct. Which uh, still cracks me up. It bothers me that students have makeup rotations <laughs> when they didn't get a crack at the first rotation. I, I think I've mentioned that in a couple of other podcasts. So uh, Natalie and the crew with her, that today Natalie gets the hot seat. And she brought up a topic that was, uh, you brought up a topic that was very interesting to me. And that is this, uh, oh, what is it called by some people, the gut? Gut microbiome or gut flora um, and how it influences the brain and potentially influences depression in patients. Yeah, I think the, one of the articles actually called it the, I'm sorry, the brain-gut microbiota axis. Yeah. And I'm like, holy cow, I can't even say two of those words without <laughs> tripping over myself. So, so you started doing some research on this. I said, go ahead and let's see where it goes. Mm -hmm. What was it you found? So the first thing that um, kind of intrigued me was that there actually is a connection to the gut, to the brain. Um, I didn't know that was a thing. So first of all, I found that quite intriguing. Um, one study I found showed that when they injected a rabies virus into the gut or the stomach of mice, um, it did a retrograde um, travel up the nerves to the brain located into the insula, part of the limbic system, which uh, affects uh, feeding, emotions, memory, tension, sexual behavior, and also parts of the prefrontal cortex, which involves emotional inhibition and critical thinking. Those were kind of uh, things I've noticed um, were affected in depression as well. So going down that rabbit hole, I decided to deep or dive, dive deep dive further. Um, to what kind of bacteria, what kind of flora could affect that. Um, so, so hold on, I gotta back up just a second. Uh -huh. The first part of this, the thing that caught your interest was that rabies went backwards through the gut to the, or forward through the, through some neurons to the brain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, how did you run across that article? I think you actually showed it to me back, back in May when uh, I was supposed to do the podcast then. Um, so I found the article really interesting because um, initially it was hard for me to find a lot of articles 
proving that there was a connection from the gut to the brain. So, As I read, you sent me four articles. Mm -hmm. uh, I read two completely part of one. Mm -hmm. The part that seemed most interesting to me was that the connection between the brain and the gut seems to be the thing that's less disputed, right? That seems to be something that is a fairly uh, well-accepted idea. That's what I've come across. Correct? Okay. Mm -hmm. And go ahead. I've, I've now interrupted a lot. Keep, keep going oh. where you were headed. I like the direction you're going. Totally fine. Yeah, so that, so that surprised me, but it seems to be well-established in literature. Um, so now the question that I came up with was what exactly, what flora is you know, causing the suppression. Is it flora? Is it metabolites? What else could it be? Um, so there were some studies showing that um, in depressed patients, they found that there was decreased Prevotella, um, which I also found that happens to be in uh, high, or sorry, decreased Prevotella was also found in Western diets, high in protein and fat. So I thought that was interesting that maybe diet could have an influence on the gut flora. Mm -hmm. um, so diet, geography, and uh, what else? And the uh, environment can also influence the flora. Mm -hmm. So from there, um, there were some s studies involving uh, depressed patients where they did a fecal transplant into mice, showing that these mice exhibited um, depressive symptoms after that transplant which I thought was really interesting too. <laughs> yeah, so so I read, I, I was really, con I, I was intrigued by this, right? Mm -hmm. So first of all, I'd never ever thought about taking people who have depression and doing a fecal transplant to a mouse model, mm -hmm. which is what they did. And they, if I understood correctly, they took 34 patients who had symptoms of depression. They actually did some biomarker work. They checked, um, uh, IL-6, they checked right. some ratios of, uh, oh, what, what was the ratio they checked? They checked the... Pioneerian um, tryptophan ratio, I think. Correct, and then there was a, a couple of other things they looked at, yeah. and it looked like, generally speaking, the patients that they had mm -hmm. that they had identified as having depression did seem to have depression, and mm -hmm. the patients that they identified, or the, the controls, appeared to not have depression, mm -hmm. and then they took fecal samples from both of those groups, and then put those into mice that didn't have any uh, gut flora Correct. to start off with, right? Mm -hmm. And then they they did some tests that are fairly well or fairly commonly used in antidepressant trials, like the forced swim test. Mm -hmm. um, there was another test that I didn't have time to look up, the sucrose test. I'm not familiar with that. Anybody know about the sucrose test? I don't remember reading that one. Maybe that was in the Kelly article, but I remember it was. there sure. was also like the Y arm test seeing like how much mobility mice had before and after. Uh, I think decreased mobility indicated depressive symptoms. Almost like an anhedonia kind of symptom, right? Right. Yeah. Um, the meta-analysis, so, so you're talking about studies with rats, mm -hmm. but there have been some studies with human beings, right? Mm -hmm. That not, not, uh, not, not very many. Right, so I, what was your takeaway from the meta-analysis article that you pulled up? So the meta-analysis, is that the uh, one on probiotics? Yeah, so I found that one interesting because um, I'm interested in going in family medicine. If we can influence something in preventative care um, that can impact patients profoundly, um, such as diet, then why don't we look into that? So this article 
uh, was looking into probiotics and in depressed people, and that giving them probiotics actually uh, decreased depression rating scales. So, and pretty significantly too, I think, from what I've read. Yeah. However, that's only effective in patients under 60. For yeah. some reason, they didn't see any effect in greater than 60. Over 60. Mm -hmm. so, I, so I read the same article, and, and one of the things that surprised me was how much evidence there seems to be out there for the link between the type of gut flora and mood problems. Mm -hmm. But as they started to explain how they went through the process of paring down the meta-analysis, I was struck by how few good articles are out there. So I think at, right. the, at the end of the meta-analysis, they had five studies left mm -hmm. that weren't repeats of the same data set that had control, matched controls. Mm -hmm. and, and with those five studies, I think four of those were actually in healthy populations. Let's give a probiotic to a healthy population mm -hmm. and see what happens. I was struck by the uh, petrochemical workers. Why, anybody <laughs> know why you would target petrochemical workers for a study of probiotics? I, I don't know it's the kind answer. kind of a random population. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was struck by that. Um, and so most of the populations actually were sort of looking at healthy people and what happens when you ensure that there's a healthier gut flora. And mm -hmm. I, I was struck by how well people stayed. Mm -hmm. right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out to uh, the group here. I think I know why they were looking at healthy populations. Um, any ideas, any takers on that one? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tell me, uh, let's see, let's start with our third year students, Nuria or Ray. Tell me what you know about depression. Depression, isn't there an imbalance between, oh. Sorry, gotta get closer. Uh, with depression, isn't there like an imbalance with serotonin? Uh, seems to be. There seems to be something about serotonin. Uh, our model for many years for medications has been based on medications uh, that either reduce the breakdown of serotonin, keep it in the cleft longer, and so forth, right? So um, stop the shutoff of release of serotonin, and things along those lines. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of speculation about serotonin, but we also have some molecules that seem to have mood effects that involve norepinephrine and dopamine as well. I know there are studies that have suggested that there is an, an inflammation component to depression. Yeah, seems like it. And in fact, uh, that was one of the things that seemed to change, right? The IL-6 marker yeah. seemed to change with, uh, with uh, the, let's see, they seem to induce that with the fecal transplant, whether it would improve with probiotics or not. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I saw the answer to that in any of the things that I read. I think uh, in one of the articles, I think it was the Kelly article, mm -hmm. they found that there was increased um, inflammatory metabolites, so IL-6, IL-8, TNF, cortisol, yeah. um, in the depressed patient group. Yeah, so. there seems to be a lot going on with, uh, with these molecules, and one of the other um, we talk about all of these different hormones and we're also aware of something called BDNF that seems to be a factor in depression, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So the more uh, richly dendritized a neuron is, the healthier somebody is. If I, if I remember correctly, if not, hopefully somebody will make an addendum to the podcast at some point. Um, so depression itself, we've talked about it before. Changes in sleep, changes in interest. In fact, that's what some of the models we talked about were the anhedonia, right? Mm -hmm. um, feelings of guilt, remorse, difficulty making decisions, 
lower energy levels, suicidal thinking, um, impairment in concentration, and changes in appetite, right? So if you were paying attention, I think I just went through Siggy caps, but I put the S in the wrong place, right? <laughs> I moved su suicide to the middle of that. Um, and if you're questioning what SIG E CAPS is, I think we have another podcast that talks about that somewhere. Right. Um, the history of probiotics goes back a long way. In fact, I was surprised one of the articles said that uh, the Greeks started to understand the issue of probiotics uh, when they started for fermenting cheese and maybe wine. Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, so I tried to look up the article on that. Apparently there's a history of, of uh, probiotics out there that uh, from 1999 that's next on my list to read after reading through some of the articles you gave me. I think I, I got lost though. I think I was, uh, there was a question before, why, why are we looking at healthy people? And the answer I think is in the, most of the articles that talk about probiotics talk about the burden of world health depression, right? So right now, the third most, uh, I don't know if I'm using the right language here, the third most disabling or the third most significant illness in the world according to the World Health Organization is depression. And there's some evidence that it will become number one or number two in the near future according to the articles we read. Mm -hmm. uh, disability, um, loss of function, loss of employment, loss of productivity from depression is very high. And, and from my perspective, I think that the direction the authors are going with these articles are that probiotics are a relatively simple way to protect people against depression. So if we can protect mm -hmm. against depression, if we can have you know, something that's in the water, so to speak, or something that's widely available and inexpensive, um, then maybe we can reduce the amount of depression, the amount of mortality and morbidity from depression. Again, I, I don't think that those links are yet really tight. I think this is still in very early stages of science, but I, I right. think that's the direction that maybe these researchers are thinking. Mm -hmm. Hey, if we want to change the world, let's provide sanitation and change the world, right? Big right. changes to our health system. If we want to change the world, let's figure out if something as basic as our symbiotic relationship with the things that live inside of us can be adjusted to make the world a better place. Let's look at it, right? Because these are significant ideas, I think. Right. Whether they pan out or not, I don't know. Definitely more research needs to be done, so. Seems like it, when there's only four or five different uh, uh, randomized controlled trials that are right. uh, in a meta-analysis. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I was struck by with the meta-analysis was I wasn't convinced that there was a placebo group. So when I looked at the criteria, it didn't require a placebo group for mm -hmm. the implementation. Um, I think this, I think we're in about 15 minutes. I know that we usually try to have a little bit more of the shelf kinds of things associated with depression or the topic at hand, um, but in the, the case of our fourth year students we try to focus on things that are interesting and pull in a few items uh, for the shelf. Mm -hmm. Any takeaway for the shelf exam regarding the gut brain microbiota axis that we should be talking about? Um, no, I don't, I think it's pretty low yield. I don't think I've seen anything for the shelf. As far as the shelf goes, Siggy caps is really important. Get the five out of eight criteria, five out of nine, sorry. And then also knowing some SSRIs 
and their side effects. Mm -hmm. um, that's super high yield. So. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's probably great information. I, I think anybody that's answering test questions at this point, uh, writing in their own answer of uh, gut brain microbiota is probably <laughs> not going to, uh, or gut brain microbiota access is probably not going to get the answer correct, right? <laughs> Even though we hope in the future that we've got some good answers there. Um, what other things might be just a few high yield comments, uh, sort of like Natalie threw out there that, that uh, you would add, Brandon? High yield comments. Uh, for depression. And again, speak up and get closer. Well, we have masks on. A lot, so. of, a lot of it's going to ask. Um, it's going to give a vignette about an individual who's struggling, and you have to make sure you get those five. They'll often give you four, and you're wondering if you have the fifth or not. And so. So the more familiarity you have with the five, uh, with the criteria, the better off you'll do. Right, and so as you go through, you start counting on your fingers, there's one, there's two, there's three, and so you want to make sure you get all five, because sometimes they'll get you with four, and that's not it. And sometimes that fifth one will be kind of vague. Um, I found the vague one to be the psychomotor portion of Siggy Caps, mm -hmm. which is like a flat affect or slow movement, or was it diminished speech, something like that. Right. So, yeah, the just slowing of the speech probably too. Anything mm -hmm. that seems to slow down those motor movements and activities mm -hmm. is going to be your, your cyclomotor slowing. Right. First line, um, they love to put sertraline in the answer choices. So that's usually the answer for, for board purposes. So <laughs> now you're not speaking directly about boards, but I think or you're speaking about the practice exams that you take. Yeah, the, and the U world and whatnot, the but they, world. they reflect pretty well. I think U world is right. a very good representation. So, so just to make sure that you're not violating any agreements that you made with test takers <laughs> or with U world, your experience generally has been not for any one exam, correct? Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> there you go. Good job. All right. Not that I think anybody. I don't think we have enough listeners to worry about it yet, so we're probably safe. Um, now, a quick tease as well. We've got a podcast coming up that is really done in conjunction with this podcast. And I think that's going to be yours. Is that correct? Right, about treatment-resistant depression. About treatment-resistant depression. That mask really muffles you. I'm <laughs> hoping that people can hear you later. Sorry, I'm a little soft-spoken. No worries. So we're <laughs> going to talk about what it means, how it's defined, and maybe how you treat treatment-resistant depression in the next week. Does mm -hmm. that sound right? Yes. Excellent. And then uh, let's see, Ray, any, anything? You've gone through quite a few questions in UWorld at this point. Um, you've uh, reviewed your shelf books uh, extensively, I think. Any highlights out of depression that you think stand out to you that might be worth mentioning? I think it's uh, really confusing when you have a cancer patient because a lot of the cancer symptoms can mimic or reflect the same symptoms you would get in major depressive disorder. Um, I think you just got to really sift through the vignette and read and try to find that key buzzword that says that they're not doing things that make them happy anymore, I think was really the big key word that just kind of pointed the answer to me, for me to pick a major depressive disorder. Because, you know, in other vignettes, they might have the patient have other symptoms of the Siggy caps, but that they're still able to do things that they like and they show interest. And so kind of points me in a different direction and away from major depressive disorder. You know, that's actually a really great comment. Over and over I have students who tell me 
that there are a lot of medical questions, and I've never been really able to have a good sense of what that means. I know that we've focused uh, at least one other podcast, or at least we intended to, on some of the medical presenting signs that you might see in patients that uh, primarily arrive at the ER and how they relate to psychiatric conditions. But I think you're talking about something very different, which is um, you have medical patients who physically don't feel well, they don't have a lot of energy, they're getting chemotherapy, uh, their sleep patterns have changed, they don't eat because the chemotherapeutic agents can cause a lot of nausea. And, and then with all of those things going on, how do you actually know if somebody's depressed and not simply having problems associated with either cancer or the treatment of cancer? And I really like the way you've pointed out that some of those core features of, of depression that will still emerge even through the, the, physical, um, the physical effects of the medications and the illness. And in fact, I, I often um, present on, on a, I have not often, but at times I present on bipolar disorder and um, there's, there's a fairly simple tool that was developed by Pfizer in relationship to um, the use of Zoloft uh, or sertraline it was the brand Zoloft that Pfizer sold, and it is sertraline. It's called the PHQ-9. It's nine questions that people can fill out uh, month to month or whenever they come in for their visits to track how they're feeling. It's a fairly sensitive tool not just to identify depression, but also to um, see how depression is either improving, improving, worsening, or staying the same. And uh, one of the things that always amazed me is I can tell people you can use the PHQ or the ASK Right, and I think you guys saw me as I as I practiced that presentation recently, and uh, the ASK is fairly simple. You simply say something along the lines of, "Hey, are you depressed?" Right, and if somebody tells you they're depressed, there's a high probability that they are. That's a screening question, right? The PHQ would be a screening questionnaire, and uh, obviously they would all require additional follow-up. But um, that I think speaks to the heart of the kinds of symptoms you're talking about. How do you feel about life? and when the physical uh, comorbidities are subtracted out or not possible to subtract out, what's left? And those are pretty significant parts of depression, I think. Nuria. Yes. Any last thoughts, any things that you would add based on uh, your study and your preparation for the shelf exam that's coming up? Only that you want to be careful when you're reading test vignettes that you can differentiate like unipolar major depressive disorder from bipolar disorder and that you don't confuse um, other disorders that might have depression-like symptoms that aren't depression because I do find especially with bipolar disorder they will try to trick you by giving you some hint of like hypomania and you if you don't catch that you will get the question wrong and be led in the wrong direction. All right, so uh, the last thing we'll do before we stop then, I know we should have stopped about seven minutes ago to make this podcast better timed. Um, something that would be in the differential for bipolar depression, I'll start, uh, unipolar depression. Um, dysthymia. Ooh, good. This is a tough one. It's like on the spot, right? Mm -hmm. Ah, it's just keeping me. Let's see who has the next one. How about um, adjustment disorder? How about cyclothymia? How about uh, one of my favorites you, uh, related to a song that we talked about last week? Oh, I think it, um, Nuria had it. 
Yeah, circadian rhythm, sleep disorder, shift work type, right? Yeah, because you start getting those depressed mood symptoms quite commonly. I was going to say hypothyroidism. Uh, hypothyroidism, even a great one. Anything else that might be in the differential? I'm sure there's more. <laughs> Pseudo-dementia. Pseudo-dementia. Right. So that would be, I think, a depression that looks like dementia, right? Yes. Good. The name's really escaping me. It's been a while since I've taken the shell. Mm -hmm. but <laughs> it's basically major depressive disorder, but of a very short time period. Before um, the six months. I think, that's I think that's an adjustment yeah. disorder. Yeah. yeah. I, I was trying to think if there was something like with schizophrenia where you have a. Like a six month. Like that's the thing with these terms, they're very dependent on the time since diagnosis. Yes. That's, that's also a key for. Shelf. Life. <laughs> yes, yes. We've talked about that before. Ray, you had a thought. I think we can consider bereavement or persistent bereavement. Oh, yeah. What a great one. That's a great addition to the differential. And on that note, should we call it a day? Yeah. Sounds good. Is there an exit quote? We <laughs> <laughs> no. Team out. Team out. We might have to, we, perhaps we need a, an exit quote, and if we do develop one, it will be team out. And, oh, uh, like uh, thanks to Leave Ray for that. All right. There we go. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.